0: Now, uh, we we reach the end uh, of uh, this particular uh, semester uh, in our Centerpoint School of Theology. Uh, All of this semester, the last three months, we've been looking at the doctrine of the church, and uh, tonight I want us to think about uh, the church and the world. Uh, Again, this is a Somewhat of a hot uh, topic, uh, and one uh, about which, even, even in this room, I suspect there, there are differences of opinion. Uh, and I think in the history of this church, there have been differences of opinion. Um, so I want to try and approach this um, ironically, uh, but I do want to lay out all of the, the various uh, viewpoints. Uh, with regard to the church's uh, responsibility uh, in the world. And uh, I'm thinking about things like politics and um, uh, diaconal ministries, uh, poverty, uh, relief, uh, and so on. Uh, And I've uh, included somewhere, yes, I've included on the back, page 8, uh, just a little thing that appeared in last week's uh, first things that some of you may, may have already read uh, about the church and, and poverty, and I know that that has already, um, well, my inbox is full, let me put it that way, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about it. That's there, just in case you hadn't seen it, uh, as an example of uh, some some of the issues that we're Uh, going to address uh, this evening. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for the promise that attends us just now, that where two or three are gathered together in the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, that he is present among us, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, as we think about our relationship as brothers and sisters in the church, and as we think about what the church uh, means, not just to us but to the community in which you have uh, placed us, Uh, We want you to guide our thoughts and direct our minds uh, as we reflect on uh, what others have said about the influence of the church in the world. Above everything, uh, we want your name to be honored and glorified, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there is a somewhat uh, provocative comment, uh, quotation on uh, the front page from uh, Robert Murray McShane uh, about uh, church and, and its influence in, in the city and its influence in the realm of poverty. Uh, that's at uh, some point I'd like you to, to read and mull over. But let's uh, let's begin uh, on page two. And I want to ask a question, uh, first of all, and my thinking here has largely been in conversation over the last year or so back and forth uh, with with, uh, Kevin DeYoung who is coming um, this summer, Mark, uh, coming in August, July, July, uh, late July I think, uh, for the Thornwell uh, Lectures, Uh, he's been here before, he was our spiritual life speaker couple of years ago from Lansing in uh, Grand Rapids. And uh, Kevin has uh, done a great deal of thinking along with Greg Gilbert uh, on uh, the church uh, and mission, what is the mission of the church, and and he and I have been having a back-and-forth conversation about it. So some of my thinking here is influenced by uh, some of his thoughts, for sure, and... uh, Uh, First of all, I want to, uh, in this table, we've got a contrast here between uh, the Great Commission on the left-hand side and the cultural uh, imperative on the right-hand side, Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Genesis 1, 28. There's a similar verse uh, in Genesis 1, 22. Uh, Let's quickly uh, remind ourselves of the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? And the Great Commission is not... Uh, that you're supposed to go into the world and make uh, converts uh, or or go into all the world and get people saved or, or some such thing. Um, I, if I had a penny for every time I heard uh, the Great Commission misquoted, uh, I would be a rich man. Uh, there are, in fact, uh, four verbs uh, in the Great Commission, uh, one imperative and three participles, and it's very... Uh, important uh, to see, first of all, the difference between those verbs and to see the fact uh, that in the participles, there are three things uh, that uh, is laid upon the church as part of its mandate. So, Jesus Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples— of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The imperative in the Great Commission is to make disciples. That's the mandate that's given to the church. We are, we are to make disciples. So um, if you're asked, as I'm frequently asked uh, by um, all kinds of people, uh, does your church engage in discipleship? Well, if the answer to that is no, then we're failing at number one because the primary task of the church is making disciples. Uh, making disciples. So discipleship in some form or another has to be a priority in the ministry of the church, and every part of church life, whether it's teaching Sunday school or teaching a ladies' Bible uh, uh, Sunday school class uh, or or ministering to young adults or ministering uh, to uh, uh, maturer adults, let me put it that way, uh, whatever it is, college ministry, whatever it is, it, it is all about making disciples. Uh, that's the imperative. And then there are three participles, going, baptizing, and teaching. Going, baptizing, and teaching. Uh, so making disciples then involves teaching, and the teachings of Jesus apply to every sphere of life. Discipleship involves submission to the kingship and lordship and rule of Christ. All authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. And disciples are subject to the kingship of Christ. So becoming a Christian in medicine, in politics, in construction, or in the arts, uh, is quite vi- uh, quite in vain uh, unless Christ reigns uh, in that vocation, uh, and then discipleship is a perpetual activity uh, of the church until jesus returns lo i 'm with you always to the end of the age now i 'm saying there 's more to the great commission than simply preaching the gospel. Uh, Understanding that in its perhaps simplest form, preaching the gospel and getting people saved. The the Great Commission involves going, baptizing, that means church involvement. Part of the mission of the church, part of the burden laid upon the church, has an ecclesial dimension baptizing as a sign and seal of the covenant of grace and initiation into the covenant community. And teaching them. And teaching them what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And If Jesus has commanded you to be Christians in the community, if Jesus has commanded you to be salt in the community, if Jesus has commanded you to be a light in the community, if Jesus has commanded you to engage in specific ways as a community, as a baptized community, then this is going to have implications for the church and the world. So the Great Commission, well, hold those thoughts there, go to the right-hand column, the cultural mandate, Genesis 1, 28, and it's sometimes said, uh, by folk who should know better, but uh, it's sometimes said that the cultural mandate is at odds with the Great Commission. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And a similar uh, statement in verse 22. Five verbs here. Be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, and have dominion. Um, John Currid, uh, uh, Old Testament RTS, uh, Charlotte, Uh, This reflects the idea that being fruitful, multiplying, and filling are not merely commands relating to human reproduction. Rather, they apply to all of life, including the socioeconomic and spiritual realms, as well as to uh, giving birth. The concepts of subduing and ruling support the interpretation of this verse as a world and life directive. Man is to be overseer of the earthly kingdom. Now, uh, to be sure, some uh, debate exists over terminology and apparent meaning, rule, subdue, or dominion and stewardship. We'll pass over that for now. Uh, The issue evolves around uh, environmentally sensitive concerns uh, over perceived misuse of this imperative by uh, Christians. Uh, So, Christians are told to go into all the world and, and be fruitful and multiply and fill and subdue and have dominion. Christians are to be involved in exploration, in research, in utilizing all that God has made and given in the universe for man's benefit in in Ethical ways, with 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 ethical uh, with ethical boundaries for sure. But we are not just a visitor on this planet, whose main objective is not to leave a footprint. But I know that's very popular now. That we are kind of trespassing. We're, we're, we are we are we are we are just one of, of many in this universe, and and. The cultural mandate is saying, no, the entire world, the entire cosmos is given to man to subdue it. To subdue it ethically, to, to subdue it responsibly, but to subdue it nevertheless. Um, so, so this cultural mandate most certainly involves the role of Christians in the world in business, in medicine, in science, in the arts, um, making widgets, whatever it is, uh, for the glory of God. Now, are these two at odds with each other? No, they're not. When Jesus says, making disciples involves teaching them everything that I have commanded you, it involves the cultural mandate. That's one of the things that Jesus teaches us, is the cultural mandate. Now what is the mission of the church? What does God expect your church to go into the world to do? Right? One answer is mission, which refers to something or someone who is sent out with a task, and 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 the church here is the corporate body of Christ both worldwide and, and the local congregation. Uh, what is the mission of the church? Uh, just a quick uh, word uh, here about the word missional. Oh, if you're at all trendy and, 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 and noting uh, how terminology changes, uh, all of a sudden, uh, in the last 10, 15 years, everyone's talking about being missional. And missional means different things to different people. Right? Missional is one of those like wax noses that you can mold and shape into whatever. It, it means whatever whatever somebody wants it to mean in that context. It's, n- it's not a word that has a definite meaning, although it's often used as that. Sometimes I think missional simply means I'm into mission as a way of life. I'm passionate about mission. But that doesn't tell you what that mission is. Sometimes it means something like you need to get out of that holy huddle and, and be something in the community. Do something. Or actually, do community. Whatever that means. Uh, sometimes it means a passion for renewing the city. But... that can, passion for renewing the city, uh, trying to support uh, local business, uh, trying to uh, revitalize downtown, all all of it laudable, can, in the minds of some, marginalize what is the primary function of the church, and that is mission, making disciples, preaching the gospel. So, so there are some extremes here. On the one hand, and, and let me put it in its most extreme form, uh, there are there are those who suggest that Christians, as a church, should not be concerned about suffering in the world. Our concern should be about the church and and, and members of the church, but the church ought not to have a concern for. Suffering in the world at large. Uh, Soup kitchens, uh, poverty relief. um, Yes, okay to have a hospital in Pakistan, but not okay to have a hospital in Colombia. Putting it at its most extreme uh, form here. Uh, Christians, by which I mean church, should only focus on evangelism. These are extremes. These are are, uh, notions that are held, and they're held by folk. Well, they're probably held by folk in this church. They're certainly held by reformed folk. And I'm I'm putting it in its most extreme form. Let me say uh, that the gospel must be front and center in the church. That's an, absolute, that's an absolute line over which you cannot cross. The gospel must be front and center uh, in the church. So the priority here must be the Great Commission. Else, if that's not the case, the cultural mandate will simply morph into another social gospel. Uh, we've seen the effects of the... Of a, of a social gospel divide divide of uh, the Great Commission. Uh, and what happens in the wake of it, churches die. Uh, Genesis 12, 1-3, and now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and you will and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, so that you will be a blessing. Well, there are those who say that Genesis 12 um, is saying that what Christians need to do, what the church needs to do, is is simply to go and, and be in the community, and that in itself is the source of blessing. That their presence in the community will be a source of blessing. A kind of community blessing station. Actually, I'm not convinced that that works in Genesis. the patriarchs were blessed despite themselves. They, they could only become a blessing to the community in which they came because of the fact that God was at, initially at work in them. Uh, Luke 4, 16 through 21, uh, and, and this is Jesus, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendants and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, today this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's one of those uh, wonderful moments in the life of the Lord Jesus. Uh, For another occasion, but what's fascinating about that is where he stopped reading in Isaiah. If if you keep on reading in the passage in Isaiah, uh, that, that put the next verse had not been fulfilled. Right? He, he stopped at a certain point, rolled up the scroll and said, today this is fulfilled in your ears. Um, some, some say, well there you have it, that the primary mission of the church, because it was the primary mission of Jesus, is feeding the poor. Well, hardly. You know, Did Jesus solve poverty in the entirety of the middle east during his ministry no he did not in in the same way that he didn't heal everybody w- were there any sick people alive or dead because 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 uh, jesus uh, had refused to come and and heal them uh, jesus uh, perform these uh, miracles at at certain times, but always for uh, a greater purpose, uh, as as signs, intrusion signs of what the new heavens and new earth would look like. But it wasn't his primary mission. You know, watch the verbs. In Luke 4. Actually, that's a good good policy when you read the Bible. Look out for verbs. And and the verbs are proclamation verbs. He's anointed me to proclaim good news. To proclaim good news to the poor. And then you have to ask yourself, well, who are the poor in Luke? Lots of studies have been done on this. Some very specialist studies have been done on uh, Luke's understanding of poverty. And it's not at all clear that poor here means economically poor. And by and large, I think in Luke, poor means spiritually poor. Um, the word for poor in Luke then carries more of a spiritual than an economic sense. Now, some people, uh, let me, uh, let me um, interject here. Uh, Does the church have um, a responsibility uh, to um, engage in ministry to the poor, poor at large, not just poor within its congregation? And and in the article at the end, uh, I've I've talked a little bit about uh, how there are spheres of influence, and one of the principles that we apply in life is, uh, you know, you look after your family first, you look after the church first. Uh, and, and then you move from there into the community. Um, but where is that community? Uh, especially in an age of uh, email and Internet, you know, I get letters from somebody in Nigeria almost every day uh, looking for, for money. Uh, what is my responsibility to that? Uh, and we have to engage in some discernment. We have to engage in, in, in uh, some, some measure of wisdom uh, about this. Uh, I I sit on the board of the cooperative ministry here in town. So where I stand on this uh, is is public knowledge. Uh, I I feel the church has some responsibility to the community in which it is found. Uh, We cannot own a block and a half of this city and say we have no responsibility to the rest of the city. Uh, We do have a responsibility to the rest of the city. And the first and primary responsibility, what this city needs... It's what Baltimore needs, is the gospel. God bless those people who are trying to preach the gospel in those, uh, in those streets uh, tonight uh, by gentle word of mouth, maybe handing out tracts in, in a situation of enormous uh, need. But it's what this city needs too. But it needs more than that. And, and if this church, for the sake of this church at its most minimal level for the sake of this church and this community. We have a responsibility to the community in which we find ourselves. And, 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 and meeting that poverty relief is an enormously complicated issue. It's enormously complicated. And, and cooperative ministry may not be, and, and many other ministries, let me just talk about the one that I'm personally involved in, uh, cooperative ministry may not do it in the best way, it, 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 we're engaged in some reform. Some, some very positive changes have taken place uh, in the last uh, couple of years, trying to bring the gospel back into diaconal ministry. Uh, some people raise uh, Geneva, for example, as a, as a classic example of the church's responsibility in the community. Actually, it's not as simple as that. Yes, in Geneva, uh, when Calvin came into Geneva in, in the 1530s, um, many of the churches were closed down. Uh, there were eight nine churches in the city, uh, and, and they were whittled down eventually to three. Uh, one of them was ch- turned into a hospital. Um, there was a through the company of pastors, uh, there was a diaconal ministry to uh, engage in help to the tens of thousands tens of thousands of refugees that came into uh, Geneva in the space of just a few years. Uh, It's fascinating to see um, some of the decisions that they made in terms of what they would be given and what they would not be given and how long they would be given it for, and the insistence that they should try and get a job and be entrepreneurs about it, uh, and so on, and and, uh, some, some difficult decisions. But for... But the, the truth of the matter is, for Calvin, Calvin's ecclesiology is not its not the ecclesiology of First Presbyterian Church. Geneva was, the, was Calvin's parish. Um, that's part of the problem that Calvin had about who could and who couldn't partake in the Lord's Supper. Um, be, because uh, it, the truth of the matter is, I think that the entire city was viewed as the parish. Uh, so it's not as clear-cut... Uh, in, in the Geneva instance um, that Calvin is saying, here is a classic example of the church 's responsibility to those who are outside of the church. I think for Calvin, the entire city was in some form or another within the church, and certainly he had a complex relationship uh, with the city of uh, Geneva. Now there are some polar views uh, of uh, the church's mission. Uh, Two of them in particular. One uh, I want to call, and which is called Neo-Kyperianism, and the other uh, tends to be called Two Kingdom View, uh, which is closely related to uh, the spirituality of the church um, view. Uh, All cards on the table here. The spirituality of the church view is mostly associated in Presbyterian circles. Uh, with James Henley Thornwell, and if you don't know who James Henley Thornwell is, uh, just don't tell anyone. Uh, come and ask me afterwards, uh, but he's obviously significant for this church, um, and his, his doctrine of the spirituality of the church has, 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 been, has been cited, sometimes miscited and misused, um, but let, let's begin with the neo-Kyperianism, uh, named, of course, after Kuyper, Abraham Kuyper, the Dutch uh, theologian of the late 19th uh, century, uh, who uh, was uh, for a, a period uh, prime minister of, uh, of Holland and uh, the editor for, for decades of the Dutch newspaper, Christian Dutch uh, newspaper, he formed um, the Free University uh, of Amsterdam, uh, which st- uh, still uh, exists to this day. And he's associated with this uh, uh, well-known comment of his, uh, there is not a square inch in the whole, wo- whole domain uh, of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Uh, that's his probably, probably his most famous uh, statement. Um, Kuyper then viewing uh, Christian responsibility as universal uh, because, because Jesus reigns over the entire universe. There is, there is no, at its, at its most extreme, there is no segregation between church and, and, and secular. Um, all of it, in one sense, is, is the domain in which the church must operate uh, in some way. So, the church exists to be a light in the world uh, with a goal to renew uh, the cosmos uh, under the lordship and governance uh, of Christ uh, in every sphere, in the arts, education, politics, economics, uh, and so on. Uh, And that's going to have uh, immediate implications for the involvement of the church in things like um, uh, poverty uh, and so on. So, the church exists for that purpose. Um, At the heart of neo-Kyperianism is a desire to make faith public and to have a a public face uh, for uh, Christianity. Uh, A zeal to confront um, injustice uh, and to help uh, those uh, who are uh, hurting. Um, Abortion, um, um, unemployment... Uh, as, as examples, the church should be involved uh, in injustice, uh, speaking forth about uh, injustice. Uh, you understand that this is Holland, this is 19th century, uh, this is not 2015, modern America, separation of church and state, uh, a fear, a growing fear, indeed, on the part of the church, uh, that if you say anything political, uh, some of our rights and privileges are going to be taken away. I, I I, uh, I get a ride to uh, seminary every Monday uh, by s- someone some of you know uh, who speaks on the radio a great deal. Uh, and uh, he's a fairly well-known voice on TV. And uh, what, he, what he doesn't know about what's going on in politics today uh, isn't, isn't worth writing down on the back of a postage stamp. Um, but it's fascinating. I asked him, uh, I asked him on Monday... Uh, what did he think the outcome would be uh, about the Supreme Court's uh, decision uh, on on the Florida issue of uh, same-sex marriage, uh, that hearing which I think begins tomorrow. Um, And there will probably be a report in May or June, and he said, oh, it will be five to four uh, in favor of... um, of uh, same-sex marriage and it might possibly and he mentioned one of the judges who tends to equivocate on some things and he says it might even be six to three Uh, and that will be the case uh, for 50 years Uh, to change the the constitution the makeup of the supreme court takes half a century to change Uh, several people have to die lots of things have to come in so it's far more powerful than a change of president or a change of the house. Um, The the Supreme Court is the the factor that sets a social agenda for half a century. Uh, And he said, it'll be here by June, and I said, what's the implication for the church? And he said, well, the church uh, will lose its tax if they refuse uh, to engage as as we would, for example, refuse to engage in same-sex marriage. Uh, arguing that we're not, we're not obliged to do any weddings. There is no mandate from the state that we perform any weddings. Uh, weddings are, first of all, a, a, a civil matter. Um, so we are perfectly within our right to lay down the rules by which people get married in this church. But there will be consequences if we do that, and the consequences will be that the church will lose its uh, tax-exempt status and and the postage, for example, that's now sent at a much cheaper rate, uh, that will disappear. And many other things will, will disappear. And uh, uh, we need to be praying for that. But there's a fear that if you do uh, mention, as, as I've just done here, uh, but if you do mention uh, these sort of things, uh, that you are almost inviting the hostility of the world in doing so. Um, and therefore, there is a, a knee-jerk um, reaction—a possible reaction. I'm not saying—I'm not saying that, that, that by any means. I'm not saying this is this is the reason why people hold to a different view. But I do think that some—it is—it is understandable why some would retreat into a, a, a spirituality of the church view um, because it 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 lessens the confrontation that you're likely to get because. Uh, In the Neo-Kyperian view, uh, it is the church's responsibility to say something about all of these things. Um, uh, Take seriously that Christianity is about more than sinners getting their ticket punched for heaven. Uh, Sometimes blurs the distinction between common grace and special grace. Sometimes blurs the distinction between general and special revelation. Uh, Can minimize personal redemption at the expense of cosmic renewal. Um, I'm I'm dubious about explicit biblical support for commanding all Christians to change the world or transform transform the the culture. Um, And it devolves quickly into an indistinct moralism. Uh, Some pluses and minuses about uh, the so-called Neo-Kyperian view. Uh, On the other side... Uh, In seven minutes, uh, we have uh, the uh, so-called two-kingdom view, the 2K view. Uh, It's it's very prominent uh, at the minute, Um, uh, broadly speaking. And and I've I've pushed these views into into opposite sides here. The truth of the matter is that people are – it's more of a spectrum – and, 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 and people waver from one side to the other, and sometimes some try to sit the fence uh, on it but but in order to understand it i've i've pushed them out into into kind of two extremes here um, arguing that we have dual citizenship we are we are members of the kingdom of God, but we also we're also members of this world with different sets of responsibilities and different sets of governing um, rules. Uh, the realm of nature does not function in the same way as the realm of grace, uh, and we shouldn't attempt to influence the culture. And, and well the, the verb is redeem it, uh, I'm not quite sure what people mean when they say redeem it. Transform it would be a better uh, verb, uh, instead, the church needs to focus on being the church, uh, and being the church through the ordinary means of grace. So what is the church about? Well, it's about, it's about worship. It's about preaching. It's about uh, baptism. It's about the Lord's Supper. It's about singing praise to God. Uh, it's about uh, uh, issues that are central to um, the Great uh, Commission. Now, let's uh, critique that uh, just a little, um, that the emphasis on the church and the ordinary means, um, yes, that's a positive thing. Uh, two Kingdoms view emphasizes the importance of the church. They're, they're, they're very strong on the church being the church. Uh, they're very strong on, on um, the consequence that if, you, if the church suddenly gets involved in in the world, that sphere can overpower its involvement in means of grace, and it's a kind of slippery slope to uh, social gospel. Um, it has a realistic assessment of the fallen nature of the world and, and uh, the dangers of some kind of utopian idealism, um, you know, merely, merely hanging about in Starbucks. And drinking a seven-dollar uh, latte, frappuccino, whatever it is, uh, you know, isn't redeeming anything except, except uh, your 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 visa card. Um, uh, there's a there's a realistic, and, and I think we were hearing a little of that on Sunday night in Sunday night's sermon, uh, a, a realistic assessment. Um, that there is only so much that you can do in this fallen world. Um, It acknowledges that while Christians can do and should do many worthwhile things in the world, the church as a church has a more limited mandate. So the two two kingdom view says, Christians should be involved in politics, in the arts, uh, in ministry to the poor or whatever, uh, social reform, revitalizing the city, but not the church as the church. That's the argument. Um, it avoids uh, every year at General Assembly, um, and my experience has been uh, more in the PCA than in the ARP for sure, uh, but certainly in the PCA, um, who ten, which tended, surprisingly, I, I think this is changing, but it's because the PCA was a southern church initially, um, ruled by a spirituality of the church view, um, Thornwell's view, um, there, there's a reluctance in the General Assembly of the PCA to make pronouncements about social issues and moral issues and send, say, petitions to the president or, or, or whatever. Uh, in the denomination that I was in in Northern Ireland, uh, tiny and almost insignificant as it was, we were forever sending petitions uh, to uh, Parliament, and the Queen, and, and anybody else who would listen about, about anything. Um, so there, there is a, a difference. Um, it avoids, the 2K view avoids endless, sometimes silly, pronouncements on all sorts of cultural and, and, and political matters. Um, it takes seriously the already and not yet uh, aspects of the kingdom. Uh, and understands every nice thing that happens in the world is not necessarily kingdom work. Um, it's also a bulwark against uh, theonomy and reconstruction, which I don't have time to explain, <laughs> thankfully. Um, but, uh, on, the other, on the other hand... Um, the two-kingdom view uh, displays an unwillingness to boldly call Christians to work for positive change in their communities and to believe that some change is possible. Uh, At its worst, uh, and and this is is an assessment that some would make, um, that the doctrine of the spirituality of the church Uh, allowed the southern church uh, to punt, or worse, uh, on the issue of slavery in the 19th century, uh, arguing that this wasn't a church affair, this was a a state affair. So so therefore, the church didn't have to say anything about it. Uh, I think the same is probably true of apartheid in South Africa, or Nazism in Germany, or uh, abortion, or gay same-sex marriage. Uh, today uh, among some. Well, uh, there you have it. You have uh, two quite polar uh, opposite views here, a neo cyperian view uh, and a two-kingdom view. Uh, For my part, um, I I, I don't subscribe to the two-kingdom view. I I, I subscribe to a a modest form, uh, and a very modest form, of uh, what I guess falls under the Neo-Kyperian uh, view. I, I think the church... I think it doesn't make sense to me that individual Christians can get involved in something when the church, when a group of Christians, if it's 20 Christians or if it's 50 Christians or if it's 100 or 99% of the church body getting involved, where does it become individual Christians and church? I'm not sure where that line, where that distinction uh, takes place. And I think that if, uh, if we expect... Uh, to be welcomed and received uh, here in the community, we have a responsibility to that community. But it's a responsibility to that community that must first prioritize the gospel and making disciples within our own community. Well, there are a thousand questions, I'm sure, but the time has gone, seven o'clock. Um, Yes, we'll, we'll think about where and when and how, but it's not going to be next week, because next week we segue into an entirely different, um, same time, same place, food, 6.15, uh, we're going to look at first and second Thessalonians over the summer, uh, and uh, all the ministers will take part in that uh, at some point or another, but we'll be... Uh, we'll be We'll be examining 1st and 2nd uh, Thessalonians all, all summer. Same time, same place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you. This is a, an enormously important uh, topic with huge consequences, um, important issues. Uh, that affect us here in this community and our our place within this community. And uh, we pray, we pray for the church and for the elders, uh, for wisdom in a sense of direction uh, and and goal uh, as we wrestle uh, with uh, an understanding of how the cultural mandate and the Great Commission relate to one another. And uh, we pray that we might be Uh, those disciples and the community of disciples who do uh, and engage in what the Scriptures uh, call us to do and engage in. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.